Africa rise and shine Africa zora Africa amka na unai Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, and we're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on the frequencies 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19 meter band to Far West Africa, as well as DSTV's audio bouquet Channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabisa Luhoko, and Neto Chimani. In our top stories, in Africa rise and shine at the Sawa, Cameroon urges residents not to take the law into their own hands, calls on South African minister to resign over social grants crisis, and U.S. Attorney General recuses himself from Russia investigations. In economics news, U.S. aircraft maker opens offices in Johannesburg and Nairobi, and in sports news, Senegal beats South Africa at the Under-20 African Nations Cup. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. At least 57 members of the Al-Shabaab extremist group have been killed as African Union and Somali forces attacked one of its camps. The AUP's keeping mission in Somalia says it was one of the deadliest assaults on the Al-Qaeda-linked group by the joint forces. The multinational force on Twitter says vehicles and equipment were destroyed in the assault on the Al-Shabaab camp outside Afmarhau and a large cache of weapons was captured. Meanwhile, a separate statement by Kenya's Defence Ministry said an unknown number of extremists were injured. There has been no immediate word of casualties among the AU or Somali forces. Former Egyptian President Hosni Mubarak has been acquitted in a final ruling that could see him walk free. Egypt's top appeals court found Mubarak innocent of involvement in the killing of protesters during the 2011 uprising that ended his 30-year rule. The Cairo-based court rejected demands by lawyers of the victims to reopen civil suits, leaving no remaining option for appeal or retrial. Mubarak was accused of inciting the deaths of nearly 900 protesters in an 18-day uprising that ended when he stepped down on the 11th of February in 2011. The UN mission in Libya says it's carrying out regular visits to detention centers in the country and seeking to find alternatives for refugees and migrants being held there. The comments follows a UN Children's Fund report published on Tuesday which described appalling conditions and human rights abuses taking place inside some of Libya's unofficial detention centers. UN spokesperson Stefan Dujaric pointed out to journalists at the UN headquarters that a joint UNSMAL and UN Human Rights Office report on detention centers was published in December, highlighting the state of impunity facing vulnerable migrants. The mission, together with UN agencies, regularly visits places of detention where migrants are held and is seeking to find alternatives to detention. In the meantime, the UN is supporting improvements in the conditions in detention in coordination with Libyan authorities. 
U.S. President Donald Trump has lashed out at Democrats over their demands for U.S. Attorney General Jeff Sessions to resign, calling their actions a total witch hunt. Sessions has announced that he will recuse himself from any probe into alleged Russian meddling in the 2016 presidential election campaign. This follows revelations that held meetings with Russia's ambassador before the election, which he did not disclose during his confirmation hearings. And finally, renowned author and theorist on decolonization, Professor Hungugi Watyongo, says African universities must invest seriously in the introduction and promotion of indigenous languages. The Kenyan writer is in South Africa to contribute to debates around the challenges at institutions of higher learning. This follows protests by students demanding free decolonized education. Delivering his lecture at Wits University in Johannesburg, Professor Hungugi emphasized the importance of Africans taking their languages seriously. Use English, but don't let English use you. (laughs) If you know all the languages of the world and you don't know your mother tongue, that is enslavement. (laughs) But if you know your mother tongue, and add all the other languages of the world to it, that is empowerment. That's the news headlines at 8.30 Central African Time. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Thank you, Anne. It's 8.06 Central African Time, and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on this Friday, March the 3rd, the 62nd day of 2017, with 303 days left in the year. And our top story, authorities in Cameroon and human rights groups have raised concerns over high incidence of street justice in the country. Chief Justice of the country's Supreme Court, Daniel Mikobe Sone, says more than 60% of the population prefer to render jungle justice as there is increasing corruption and lack of confidence in the justice system. Moki Kinzaka reports from Yaoundé. Hundreds of people shout and watch helplessly as a crowd beat two men at Mokolo, a popular neighborhood in Cameroon's capital, Yaoundé. Among those watching helplessly is Teofila Handa, a 47-year-old businessman. He says the two suspects seized a lady's handbag and refused the policeman's orders for them to surrender. He says while the two struggled to escape, a crowd held and almost lynched them. I think that it was thanks to the energetic intervention of the military that their lives were saved, but that they left with wounds all over their bodies. 40-year-old businessman Stanley Forbang 
who also witnessed the incident, says many Cameroonians no longer trust the police and prefer to render what is called in Cameroon jungle justice. With the corrupt system that we have in the police corps, when you catch a thief red-handed with stolen money and you take him to the police station, instead of the policeman to apply the law, he will try to take his own share of the stolen money from the thief and release him. And later on, you discover the thief in the quarter mocking at you. A day hardly goes by without the media reporting cases of widows thrown out of their family houses by their husbands' relatives just to seize property. Landlords who remove doors of tenants because they have not paid rent. Striking workers who decide to block traffic because they are angry with their bosses. Barista Nico Halle, president of the General Assembly of the Cameroon Bar Council, says Cameroonians are losing confidence in their justice system. Corruption is still dire. Human rights are not respected. The rule of law is not respected. The constitution is not respected. When the rule of law is banalized, is brushed aside, destroyed, then we have nothing. All of us are, are responsible for this nasty situation. Barrister at law Mojem Fombat says some people have resorted to jungle justice because they were not protected by the police when they reported suspects. Others, he say, are fed up with the arbitrary arrest, detention and torture in cells. Legitimate defense is when you uh, react in order to prevent an offense. Uh, maybe somebody wants to shoot you and you remove your own gun first and shoot that person. I cannot, maybe you want to slap me and I remove a gun and I shoot you. No civilized society will tolerate people taking the law into their own hands. Everybody must know that when you have a problem, you must seek redress through the courts. Speaking recently, during the opening of the judicial year, the Chief Justice of Cameroon's Supreme Court, Daniel Mekobe Sonny, acknowledged that corruption lengthy judicial processes and lack of trust were making many to prefer private justice exercised by the people when the legal system fails. The president of Cameroon's National Commission on Human Rights and Freedom, Chemuta Banda, regretted that jungle justice has not reduced crime but has rather multiplied the number of human rights abuses. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzaka in Yaoundé. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amuka na Unai. It's 11 after 8 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on the frequencies 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19 meter band to Far West Africa. Now for feedback and questions relating to our show, please send a WhatsApp message on 277 277- Six three double zero double three two seven, or call us on two seven eight three nine one three. 
3000 and leave your message. You can also email us at info at channelafrica.org.za or send an SMS on 277-969-57930 or get a hold of us on Twitter at Rise Shine Africa or at Channel Africa Win. We appreciate your feedback. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. The Congress of South African Trade Union, Kasatu, has called for Social Development Minister Batabile Lamini and her team in the department to resign or be dismissed. Speaking to the media in Johannesburg yesterday, following a three-day Central Executive Committee meeting, the Labour Federation says the Social Security Agency of South Africa's saga smells of corruption. Kasatu also announced it will officially sign the National Minimum Wage Agreement while continuing to push for a living wage for workers. Busi Chimombe has more. The call for Social Development Minister Batabile Lamini to fall on her sword or be fired comes as 17 million South Africans face the prospect of not being paid their social grants on the 1st of April. The Social Security Agency of South Africa, SASA, is still to complete negotiations with Cash Paymaster Services to enter into a new contract when the current one ends this month. Kosato General Secretary Beging Jalinjali says besides the crisis having been created by administrative bungling, there's also a strong smell of corruption. The fact that they did not tender properly for the two years, it comes to one conclusion to us, that at the end it will be says, what then do we do? Because there's no one else except these people that has to carry that work. So in an illegitimate way, you appoint some other organization to run at the expense of not giving a fair tendering to the others. That's why you said it smells corruption. It seems to us that has been deliberately made it up to achieve a particular goal. Kosato has announced that it will now officially enter into the National Minimum Wage Agreement signed by business, labor government and civil society last month. Having gotten a mandate from the CEC, it says the wage is a significant starting base towards a living wage for South African workers. The Labor Federation, however, says it will continue to push for better wages for workers. Njali Njali. The NOPs have been given a mandate to go and sign the deal at the NETLEC and to reiterate our position that starting figure must be combined with a family agree medium term target to achieve a decent national minimum wage within the stipulated time frame and also insist that an agreement must be reached that there will be an annual increase to, progress, to progressively achieve the target. The real work is only beginning at NETLEC with the drafting of the legislation and the resolution of all the outstanding issues. The agreement sees workers earning a minimum of 3,500 a month for people working 40 hours a week and 3,900 rands for a 45-hour week, effective from May next year. On the recent attacks in Gauteng on foreign immigrants, Kosato has blamed these on business. It says that the labor movement will endeavor to use its shop stewards and members to assist communities in channeling their grievances constructively. 
Kusatu strongly believe that the employers are responsible for the mayhem in the country because they are the ones who distort the labor market by sidelining South Africans and hiring people from outside our borders. This needs to be addressed or will continue to have these sporadic attacks. This social unrest has generally revealed the absence of the Congress movement in these communities. For that reason, we shall continue to urge our shop stewards and members to take an active part in the community struggles. The Labour Federation has again made the call for the convening of a job summit where business, labour and government can come up with a strategy on how to save jobs and create new ones. It has also spoken on the need for unity within the tripartite alliance and says that the campaign to ensure Cyril Ramaphosa becomes the ANC's next president is underway. That report by Busi Chimombe. The United States Attorney General has recused himself from any and all investigations into Russian influence in last year's presidential election. Jeff Sessions buckled under mounting pressure from both Republican and Democratic lawmakers to clarify his testimony during a confirmation hearing where he said he had no contact as a top surrogate of then-candidate Donald Trump with Russian officials during the presidential campaign. Several senior Democratic lawmakers earlier also called on Sessions to resign after a Washington Post report revealed he had two meetings with Russia's ambassador to Washington last year. Sean Barspies has more. With lawmakers from both sides of the aisle piling on the pressure all day, this by late afternoon was the man at the helm of the Justice Department. Listen to Attorney General Jeff Sessions. My staff recommended recusal. They said that since I had involvement with the campaign, I should not be involved in any campaign investigation. I have studied the rules and considered their comments and evaluation. I believe those recommendations are right and just. Therefore, I have recused myself uh, in the matters uh, that deal with the Trump campaign. Several congressional investigations and one by the FBI that falls under the Justice Department are seeking clarity on allegations that Russia tried to influence last year's presidential election in favor of the Republican candidate and now President Donald Trump. Former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn was forced to resign after he misled senior administration officials about his contacts with Russia's ambassador to Washington, a claim now leveled at Sessions. This was the then nominee when asked if anyone from the Trump campaign communicated with Russian officials. Senator Franken, I'm not aware of um, any of those activities. I have been called a surrogate at a time or two in that campaign, and I did not have communications with the Russians, um, and I'm unable to comment on it. Sessions now says he understood the question to be whether anyone from the Trump campaign, including himself, had discussed presidential politics with the Russians. We talked about a little bit about terrorism, as I recall, and somehow the subject of the Ukraine came up. I had had the Ukrainian ambassador in my office the day before, and uh, to listen to him, nothing that Russian, Russia had done nothing that was wrong in any area and everybody else was wrong with regard to the Ukraine. It got to be a little bit of a testy conversation at that point. Earlier leaders in both the House and Senate called on Sessions to resign. Nancy Pelosi 
is House Minority Leader. The fact that the Attorney General, the top cop in our country, lied under oath to the American people is grounds for him to resign. Is grounds for him to resign. He has proved that he is unqualified and unfit to serve in that position of trust. Almost every week we discover new evidence of secret communications between senior Trump officials and the Russian agents. Earlier, President Trump said he had full confidence in his attorney general. I'm Sherwin Bricebees in New York. It's 8.20 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Now let's go back in time to today in 1998. A nationwide strike shuts down most of Zimbabwe's economy and the government threatens to punish those who encourage the protest. That was Today in History in 1998. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Africa, rise and shine. I am Hilda Kekelua in Zambia. This is Simon Muchemwa in Harare, Zimbabwe. Jean-Noël Bamwisi, Channel Africa, Kinshasa. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja. This is Moki Kinzeka. In Yawundi, informing the world about Africa. in Lesotho. And I am Dana Wanyonyi for Channel Africa in Mombasa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Zimbabwe police have been accused of harassing visitors to the country as according to the latest Zimbabwe Visitor Exit Survey, which also urged authorities to improve its tourism infrastructure and solve the problem of high pricing to make the country more competitive in the region. The survey also recommended continuous training of frontline police immigration and customs officials in order to improve the reputation of Zimbabwe as a hospitable tourist destination. Simon Muchema has more from Harare. The Zimbabwe Visitors Exit Survey launched this week in Harare revealed that South Africa was the leading source market for visitors to Zimbabwe with 38,1% followed by Zambia and Malawi. This revelation was in contrast with the xenophobic attacks in South Africa against fellow Africans, especially those from Nigeria, Somalia, Mozambique and Zimbabwe over crime and other grievances. Although the volume of tourists to Zimbabwe has steadily increased in the past few years, police harassment was cited as the major barrier for growth. At 11%, tourism is one of the leading sectors driving the country's economic growth. During the launch of the survey, Zimbabwe National Statistics Agency Director Mutasa Zinotize hinted how important the tourism survey was for the country. The survey is the fifth to be done by Zimbabwe, but the first one to be coordinated by Zimstat, your national statistical agency. The VAS, the acronym, is a sample-based survey designed to gather an array of information on the characteristics of visitors to Zimbabwe, which cannot be obtained through the official entry and exit declaration forms. The survey involves personally interviewing randomly selected visitors as they leave the country at a selected exit point. A visitor exit survey, VES, 
is a critical source of information with respect to measuring and monitoring of key indicators in the tourism sector. The objective of the survey, the first of its kind in the country, was to feed into the production of a tourism satellite account, a vehicle used to obtain demographic and economic information on visitors to Zimbabwe. Zinotize explained. The specific objectives of the 2015 the 2016 VES were to obtain demographic and socio-economic data on the tourism clientele to Zimbabwe, obtain direct feedback from the visitors on their experiences in Zimbabwe, obtain information of the travel and the expenditure patterns of visitors to Zimbabwe, obtain information on the uses of various tourist facilities and services as a visitor product requirements. Assess the level of utilization of packaged tours, gather information on inbound tourism expenditure, obtain information for tourism marketing, planning and development as well as policy formulation. But the fundamental question can be asked, why construct the TSA for the tourism sector? The United Nations World Tourism Organization recommends this methodological framework to member states because tourism, and that is a very important point, because tourism, unlike conventional industries such as mining or manufacturing, that are classified in accordance with the goods and services they produce, is defined by the characteristics of the customer or consumer demanding tourism products. Meanwhile, of all visitors to Zimbabwe, 42% did not utilize any commercial accommodation facility and would stay with relatives due to high prices. As a result, the country has decided to market Victoria Falls as one of the seven wonders of the world. Dr. Mishek Sibanda, secretary in the Macro Finance Ministry, said it contributes to close to 11% of GDP, and this is the reason why we as government have declared Victoria Falls. There's only one Victoria Falls in Africa, a special economic zone, in order to provide uh, the necessary incentives uh, for investors to come. And at the same time, we have seen the development of the Victoria Falls Airport, which is going to uh, increase uh, the number of tourists that are going to uh, visit our country. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchema. Governments are being urged to provide more funding to prevent and treat drug abuse among women. The appeal has been made by the International Narcotics Board, which is also calling for more gender-sensitive drug policies and programs, as well as better access to health care for drug-dependent women. INCB has released its latest annual report, which the organization says comes at a time when countries are reporting a disproportionate increase in drug overdoses among women. Diane Penn asked INCB President Venner Sip about some of the findings. Every year in our annual report, we have a chapter one highlighting a topic which raises interest and which is under discussion in the international debate and this time it's women and drugs because we think that um, this is a topic which needs more awareness and more interest we see that um, there are many 
discrepancies and many, many disadvantages which women uh, have and uh, that uh, uh, women in many respects are uh, not in the same situation as men are. For instance, we see that women represent one-third of the drug users globally, but only one-fifth of drug treatment uh, recipients are women. Or uh, that uh, women have been affected in a disproportionate increase in drug overdoses. Uh, or uh, women are increasingly being arrested for drug-related crimes. Or women are significantly more likely than men to be prescribed narcotics and anti-anxiety medications. Among the specific groups of women that you're concerned about are um, also prisoners and sex workers. What can you tell us about those populations? You know, when we draft our report, of course, we we ask also um, scientists and and researchers to give us uh, figures. And we saw that there are specific problems with women uh, in prison and sex workers because they are particularly at risk of being addicted and particular at risk of not being treated, for instance, because uh, they are much more stigmatized than others. So it's just a fact that we saw, and now we call upon those who can change the situation to do something. What we say is, for instance, to improve the access to prevention and the access to treatment by creating more facilities explicitly for women. Another issue that is of concern are those countries that still apply the death penalty for drug-related crimes. Can you speak about that particular issue? Yes, this is a concern we have expressed since some years. On one hand, governments, of course, are free, according to the conventions, to determine the sanctions when it comes to drug-related crime. But on the other hand, uh, first, the conventions are based on the principle of proportionality. And secondly, we say that uh, even if the conventions are silent about the death penalty, they don't say it's allowed, they don't say it's forbidden. But there are a lot of international resolutions and international uh, statements uh, by the General Assembly of the United Nations, but also by the human rights bodies, which say that countries should and governments should try to abolish the death penalty. So what we are saying is, even if the conventions are silent about the death penalty, we encourage governments who retain this death penalty to consider abolishing it. And Afghanistan continues to also figure in your report and to be of concern. Yes, of great concern even. Um, Afghanistan is a country which since uh, 15 years, uh, is, uh, let us say, under uh, a very intensive monitoring. Now, what we see is that the general situation in Afghanistan is worsening. The security situation is worsening. The economic situation does not make any, any really, any, any uh, progress. And the drug control situation also is more and more complicated, more and more difficult in many provinces, the several government has no access and no possibility to, to really control what is going on. So we see that the general uh, situation uh, is becoming worse and worse. And on the other hand, we see that the international community, mainly the donors, the partner governments, 
have a tendency to retire, to say, well, we spent so much money into this country and we don't see really results. And um, this is very dangerous because if the donors retire, they create a vacuum which will be very easily and very quickly filled by those uh, parts of the country, those organizations like Taliban and others, uh, who increase even the instability and, in, and the insecurity. That was president. That was Werner Sip, president of the International Narcotics Board, speaking to UN Radio's Diane Pin. Our headlines up next with Anne Musa. Very good morning to you. In the headlines, hundreds of protesters have marched through the capital of Guinea-Bissau demanding the resignation of President José Mario Vaz. At least 57 members of the Al-Shabaab extremist group have been killed as African Union and Somali forces attacked one of its camps. And the former Egyptian president, Hosni Mubarak, has been acquitted in a final ruling that could see him walk free. Egypt's top appeals court found Mubarak innocent of involvement in the killing of protesters during the 2011 uprising that ended his 30-year rule. Those are the stories making headlines. Thank you, Anne. Any kid who sticks out and is different gets bullied, but it's worse for those who are lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender and intersex, LGBTI. A a UN human rights expert has warned Charles Ratcliffe, Chief of Equality and Non-Discrimination at the United Nations Human Rights Office in New York, says that children are not born hating anyone. They learn it from adults. His office has launched a mini-campaign asking parents, teachers and governments to lead by example and protect LGBTI kids from bullying. Jocelyn Sambira asked Radcliffe what people can do to keep these children safe. The message of this campaign is that young people, children, uh, adolescents are at risk of bullying. We know that. All kids are. But it's much more acute for LGBTQ kids. Any kid who sticks out who's a bit different, whether it's because they're gay or lesbian or trans or because they're seen as just not quite fitting rigid gender stereotypes, gets picked on, gets bullied. And what may start as teasing and and name-calling, very often and quickly escalates and we see a pattern of exclusion and isolation and often brutal violence that can send kids into a spiral. Uh, Pushing them out of school can also be accompanied by rejection at home and these kids end up at risk of depression and even suicide. What are some of the experiences or stories that have been shared with you? I think, you know, when you talk to kids, you find out that there's a whole series of things that are fueling this this sense of isolation. What happens at school is often very isolating, but they often lack support at home as well, where there's family rejection. I think the the key thing is how to provide support, how to make sure that schools are safe, that the message that uh, is being given to kids uh, is one of respect and empathy to those that are different from them. And that's something that, you know, we all have a role to play, whether as parents, as peers, uh, as friends, as teachers, uh, or, you know, at the government level, as policymakers or as school managers. One of the actions that were taken here in the U.S. is the so-called bathroom bill, where young people 
trans or intersex could use the bathrooms that they wish according to the gender. Repealing that bill, what effect do you think it'll have on these young people? You know, this is uh, this is about bathrooms, but it's about so much more than bathrooms. It's really about uh, making sure that trans kids feel safe at school, uh, and by you know by treating them as if they are a threat or as if they're freakish or um, somehow you know don't fit in. It's it's really legitimizing the stigma that they face, and it's you know we know that the statistics on uh, on trans kids are are horrifying when you look at levels of depression uh, of bullying uh, and of suicidal thoughts we need to do absolutely everything we can to make sure that trans uh, kids feel valued feel accepted and feel safe Uh, and this uh, move in in uh, preventing people from using the bathroom is obviously a very negative backward step in the campaign, people are asked to take action. What can someone do, even though they're not in government or they don't have any influence? And this is the great thing. There's something that all of us can do. Uh, there are so many ways to create change, uh, whether it's teaching empathy and respect uh, at school, if you're a teacher, or modeling it at home. I think that's very important. Uh, the video that we're launching with this campaign tells the story. In a, we, we, we worked with a children's animator to do this. tells the story of a, of a young boy and girl who are friends, and the mother actually signals her disapproval of the girl when she realizes that the that the young girl is a lesbian so uh, the, this disapproval is immediately communicated to the son and that sets the, the that's what sows the seed and it is it is really a simple way of saying something that mandela nelson mandela taught us uh, as you know always he he said it best he said children aren't born hating uh, one another they don't hate people who are different they're taught that and if people can be taught to hate, they can be taught to love. And that's really what this campaign is about. Let's show respect. Let's model it. Let's teach it. Uh, and let's make sure that everything we do in our own lives sends the signal, sends that message to young people, to children in our lives, that inclusion and acceptance and respect is the only way forward. Mm-hmm. What do you say to critics or people who feel that this is more a cultural issue and do not want to approach this topic or do anything about it because they feel that this is not their culture and this is an imported culture. What do you say to those people? I think that it's important to look with clear eyes at what we're talking about. This is children being beaten up and bullied and pushed out of school and having their lives ruined uh, by prejudice. Now, you know, beating up children in a back alleyway is not some treasured cultural tradition. Uh, we should all be against this. I know that uh, you know, any time uh, you talk at the UN about sexual orientation and gender identity, there's always uh, different points of view, and that's fine. Uh, but let's at least all agree that keeping kids safe, uh, making sure that they can live and learn and thrive uh, free from the threat of bullying and, and violence, uh, that is something that we should all, no matter what our cultural tradition or religion is, we should all be able to get around that. That was Charles Ratcliffe, Chief of Equality and Non-Discrimination at the UN Human Rights Office in New York, speaking to UN Radio's Justin Sambira. And let's go back in time to today in 1995. US Marines kill several gunmen in Mogadishu while supporting the pullout of UN peacekeepers from Somalia. That was today in history in the year 1995. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. 
Africa, rise and shine. I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. This is Simon Muchemwa in Harare, Zimbabwe. Janowel Bamwezi, Channel Africa, Kinshasa. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja. This is Moki Kinzeka in Yawundi. Informing the world about Africa. in Lesotho. And I am Dana Wanyonyi for Channel Africa in Mombasa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. It's 8.39 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Renowned author and theorist on decolonization, Professor Nguki Watyongo, says African universities must invest seriously in the introduction and promotion of indigenous languages. The Kenyan writer is in South Africa to contribute to debates regarding the challenges at institutions of higher learning. This follows recent protests by students demanding free decolonized education. Delivering his lecture at Witts University in Bramfontein in Johannesburg last night, Professor Nguki emphasized the importance of Africans taking their languages seriously. Wisani Makubele has more. Can Can you hear me? Professor Ngugi Wationgo received a warm welcome when he took to the podium. He reflected on a variety of issues, including how the continent interacts with the rest of the world. He says it does not make sense that a resource-rich continent such as Africa is poor compared to others. Africa has been the eternal donor to the West. And corporate globe wants unfettered access to the vast resources of the continent. But because of the colony of the mind, we have been convinced of the opposite. That is we who need a perfect English accent in order to reach the globe. Professor Ngogi delivered his lecture entitled Secure the Base, Decolonize the Mind at Vets University on Thursday. He says Africa must own its resources, saying Western leaders have been looting, only leaving crumbs for the people of Africa. Along with economic and political empires, Europe simultaneously and consciously created empires of the mind through language ideologies and practices. They gave us their accent in exchange for their access to our resources. So when African intellectuals and leadership were busy perfecting their borrowed accents, accents for access, that unfortunately is the story of post-colonial Africa. He expressed disappointment that there are people on the continent who prioritize English at the expense of their home languages. Use English but don't let English use you. If you know all the languages of the world and you don't know your mother tongue, that is enslavement. But if you know your mother tongue and add all the other languages of the world to it, that is empowerment. In a response to the lecture, student representatives Imam Gele Dagavu lamented the suspension of some students for their participation in protests for free decolonized education. The decolonization process has been violent. It's been violent to all the fullest in this room, 
na Lady Shira Husia is still suspended today because she said Africans must fall because she said end outsourcing because she said decolonization master student bright young black woman still suspended from university for the call of decolonization and many others in this university today these students were among the hundreds of people who packed Solomon Mashango house to listen to the lecture I agree and I feel as conflicted about the questions of language as any any person who was sitting in that hall but I'm really concerned about how we go back how we envision this new world of speaking our own languages when we haven't yet taken back our land when we haven't yet taken back the very resources he was talking about that are shipped off to the rest of the world to develop the rest of the world it was a great lecture it was a great lecture it was an intellectual lecture it's given us a lot of stuff to sort of think about from very prominent people about how are we starting to restructure uh, our education system so that it's very inclusive of our own history as black people you know they say they feel challenged to decide on how to achieve free decolonized education amuisani makubele in johannesburg africa rise and shine africa africa wake up africa africa revetwa africa africa wema sun rises no soleil elevé weya wema what's in the happen africa africa dumelang sanbonani africa mulishani pulibwanji I'm Tabi Solohogu with an economics update. Good morning. Aircraft manufacturer Boeing has announced the opening of a new office in Nairobi, Kenya. The move, the Chicago-based firm said in a statement on Thursday, marks a significant milestone in its global expansion plan. It comes hot on the heels of the recent granting of Category 1 status to Jomo, Kenyatta International Airport. Africa's biggest mobile phone operator, MTN, has promised to pay a dividend on Thursday, sending its shares surging, founded with the help of Pretoria at the end of White Rule in 1994. MTN is seen as one of post-apartheid South Africa's biggest commercial successes, but clashes with regulators in recent years have raised questions about governance and hobbled growth. MTN reported a 108 million US dollar annual loss, its first in two decades hit by a regulatory fine in Nigeria and unfavorable currency moves. Ghana's Finance Minister Ken Oforiata says that they aim to reduce its budget deficit to 6.5% of gross domestic product in 2017 from 8.7% on a cash basis last year. The persistently elevated deficit is a sign of Ghana's struggle to tame its national finances. Since 2015, the country has been following a 918 million US dollar international monetary fund program set to end next year. The Namibian Petroleum Corporation of Namibia, Namco, will only get 7% of profit shares in the event that oil or gas is found in the Kavango West region. Angolan-based firm Acrep is currently doing the exploration, and as the main shareholder, it has a 70% stake, stake rather, uh, two other Namibian companies being premier, ONG, 
with a 20% stake in the deal and Gravity MI, which has 3%, are involved. Minister of Mines and Energy, Obis Khan Jodze, on Monday toured Block 1718 and 1818 in the Etosha Sedimentary Basin to familiarize himself with the developments. Oil markets have risen on Friday as the dollar edged away from a multi-week high. The dollar slipped on Friday from its highest in seven weeks against a basket of currencies, although still holding close to a level that anchors a Brent crude near 55 US dollars a barrel and West Texas Intermediate just under 53 US dollars. The dollar has climbed on Thursday after hawkish comments by a US Federal Reserve official encouraged investors to expect a near term interest rate hike. The US dollar trades at 13.5 in South Africa, 10.37 in Botswana, 9.63 in Zambia, 8.1 to the British pound, 9.4 to the euro, gold $1233, platinum $987 an ounce, brand crude $55.17 a barrel. Channel Africa. Our sports updates up next with Neto Chamani. Thank you, Lulu, and a very good morning to all sport fans. Starting off with football news. The South African under-20 men's national football team, Amajida, blew away a 2-0 half-time lead as they lost 4-3 to Senegal in an African Nations Cup. Group B game played at the Levi Mwanawasa Stadium in Ndola, Zambia last night. A win would have seen Amajida qualifying for the FIFA Under-20 World Cup in South Korea, but now they would have to wait for the final game against Sudan in Lusaka on Sunday to confirm their place in the semi-finals. After early goals from Liam Jordan and captain Tetius Malepe, Amajida had Coach Tabasinong bemoans the defensive errors, but also feels the lesson came at the right time. It was a good match and congratulations to Senegal for winning the game. And yeah, uh, we obviously defended badly, uh, especially just after um, uh, the break. You know, we encouraged the boys to concentrate on the game, to not to lose focus. But uh, we started to play too deep. We started to create fouls in dangerous areas. And then we allowed Senegal to score one goal with a set piece. And of course, we started to absorb the pressure. We ended up being under pressure. And it didn't help us. And a lot of our players made mistakes, especially our defense. So, yeah, I think um, it was a disappointing second half. And, um, yeah, we just have to pick ourselves up and make sure that we look forward to the next match because we are not out of the tournament. We are still in the tournament. But uh, the lesson happened at the right time, you know, uh, because now we just need to work on the defensive mistakes and make sure that we play better in the other match against Sudan. As things stand in Group B, all teams stand a chance of making it to the semi-finals depending on Sunday's results when two games will be played simultaneously. Whilst Cameroon and Senegal will remain in Ndola, South Africa and Sudan will travel to Lusaka and Sinong says adaptation to the new area won't be an issue. Obviously all those changes will happen for both teams Sudan and South Africa 
And, uh, you know, part of our preparation in, tournament, uh, in the tournament was done in Lusaka. So the players are, uh, are, have adapted to the setup. The players are used to Zambia. It's just a neighbor country. I don't think we'll struggle with adaptation. Uh, we just have to remain positive, remain focused, plan, analyze, Sudan properly. It's, it won't be easy. It's going to be the toughest match. But uh, we've learned, we've just had a hard lesson. We lost against a very good team. And then we're playing another good team. And then we have to make sure that we go all out there, win the match, and then stay in the tournament. Orlando Pirates mentor Shell Jonafreit, who becomes the first ever Swedish coach to be, to be involved in the Soweto Derby, is no stranger to derbies, having coached big teams in his home country and in Norway. He believes that they are hungrier than Chiefs going to this game tomorrow afternoon at the FNB Stadium in Johannesburg. On to cricket news. Proteus keeper A.P. de Villiers has defended his top-order batsman for their performance during the ODI series in New Zealand. The Proteus top-order have had a poor performance with the bat, as the Tories have lost six wickets to black bowlers in all four games. Only three Proteus batsmen have scored more than 100 runs thus far in New Zealand. A.B. de Villiers, 239 runs, Quinton de Kock, 194, and Fav du Plessis, 128. Opening batsman Hashim Amla has had a disappointing ODI campaign scoring only 92 runs in four games at an average of 29. The form of JP Dumini has been questionable as the all-rounder has only made 94 runs thus far and hasn't scored a half century since October last year. David Miller has also failed to live up to his specialist betting position at number six and has only contributed 32 runs in three games. De Villas, however, is confident that his betting attack has the ability to bounce back and secure the Proteus as series victory in the fifth and final ODI in Eden Park tomorrow. And finally, in tennis news, Lucas Sitole, South Africa's top-ranked wheelchair tennis quads player, is looking forward to this year's SA Open. The tournament taking place from the 10th to the 14th of April at Ellis Park forms part of the International Tennis Federation's wheelchair tennis tour and is classified as one of only six Super Series events held worldwide. Sitole, a champion back in 2015, is in high spirits ahead of the tournament. Uh, the players who are going to come from uh, USA in my category are uh, USA and Great Britain. Uh, those are the two countries that I'm, I'm waiting for. Those are the guys who are going to be trying to stop me to, uh, to, to, to defend the title to stay in South Africa. And in the open guys are uh, also the guys from Japan and Australia. They're going to be coming uh, to, to also play and uh, from Netherlands. They're going to be coming and one from uh, Sweden. They're going to be coming. But... Uh, it's going to be a good tournament for us um, as the players from South Africa and it's also going to give the youngsters an opportunity to play against uh, the guys from around the world so that they can compare themselves to, to the top players. Stay tuned to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. More sports news in the next hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories in Africa, rise and shine at the Sawa. Cameroon urges residents not to take the law into their own hands. 
calls on South African minister to resign over social grants crisis, and U.S. Attorney General recuses himself from Russia investigations. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today and for the week. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumuzo Ramagadze and Tutungubeni, technical producer Mario Edwards, and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.co.za or tweet us at Rise Africa or send an SMS on 277-969-57930. I'm taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa is Asanda Bam with a song titled Mjojo. Bongo, put me bow. Send it was a good smell. It's a good smell. It's a good smell.